We're back on Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. I am John Schmelk. He is Paul Dodino. It's all presented by Coors Light. Thank you for joining us. Your phone calls at 201-939-4513 or hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. We might have a surprise guest, but nothing is firm at this point, so we'll be taking your calls all show long. Obviously, we'll continue to take your calls about the NFL draft. And, you know, we've talked so much about the prospects and the players. I thought today would be a better time to take a different angle on it in terms of how the prospects fit on the Giants roster, their depth charted positions, and how they fit what the Giants want them to do. We've kind of touched on that a little bit when the players were drafted, Paul, but sure. I think it's a good time to go in-depth on it a little bit since these guys will be showing up on Thursday for rookie minicamp mm -hmm. to do their physicals, get fitted for equipment, and hit the practice field on Friday. Yeah, I mean, really, when you think about it, and, and this is the part that, that I most enjoy because you want to know how the pieces fit into the puzzle. It's easy to say, well, this is what the Giants did, but now you say, well, how are they going to use them, and what do they still need to do? Because, John, let's not kid ourselves. Training camp doesn't start until the end of July. They still have more work to do, and Dave Gettleman would be the first one to tell you if he was sitting in this chair right now, I still have more work to do. So let's kind of talk about what the Giants are still looking at. Absolutely. And, of course, I will make sure I get to your tweets. I know I did a bad job over the weekend, but I was so excited that we had full banks of calls for four hours. I just wanted to you know, get all the callers on as quickly as I can. But I will make sure I get to your tweets today at hashtag Giants Chat. Make sure you get them in. All right, Paul, let's start at the quarterback position because, obviously, Daniel Jones is the story. I guess my I guess my two questions. Yeah. I Paul, give that to me. I'm gonna I'm gonna put it in the document. Give that to me, please. Thank you. Um, <laughs> um but let's start with Daniel Jones very quickly, Paul, because he's somebody with we are gonna have a surprise guest. That's what that awkward I, I think so. casting was. I, I think, think so. I hope it's him. So he'll, <laughs> he'll give it a shot. Um but let's start here, Paul, at the quarterback position first. Yeah. Um, we've talked about his skills, and I'll talk about his fit in Shermer's system in a second. Let's start with the depth chart first. Guarantee when the season starts that Jones is QB2, or is there a chance he's QB3 at the start of the season, and then who's going to be the third guy? Is it Tanny? Can Loletta beat him out? How do you just balance what we're looking at at the quarterback position in terms of the depth chart this year, and how it'll shake out for week one? Well, I do think they keep three quarterbacks, John. Correct. But I do believe it's going to be an open competition in terms of when Daniel Jones inherits the number two job. He may not necessarily be the guy. He may not necessarily be the guy right out of the gate. And that is, by the way, the number we're looking for, John. Got it. He just texted me. That is okay. the number we're looking for. Um, so in my opinion... I think they will try to hold Jones back until he is absolutely comfortable before moving him up to the number two slot. I don't think they want to rush him, and I don't believe that they want to uh, cause any stir by forcibly making him the number two guy out of the gate. Now, whether or not that means Lillette is the guy, I, I've said all along, he's got to compete and I still believe that. He's going to have to compete for a job on this team. I don't think, given his status last year, that he has anything in concrete or will to him or has a right to believe that he's automatically on the 53. At the same time, uh, Alex Tanney, same situation. Uh, if he comes in and during the course of summer camp, if they believe that, uh, if they believe that he is not going to fulfill their role as a backup as they believe he can then he's going to have to either be the three or perhaps totally get caught I don't I don't know that he has a spot on the 53 neither and that's why I think that competition is interesting. Paul are we making this call now or are we right doing now a specific right time? now he's right. waiting right now all right we're gonna give him a call relax we'll get to it <laughs> calm down well you know because he could be out of range in five minutes you never know he's out recruiting we're gonna talk to Jeff Comision is that how you pronounce it yes. is that correct yes yeah, I got it I got the Italian name right uh he's the old Dominion's defensive line coach we're gonna have him on in a second to talk about O'Shane Zimenez uh right here and I have about his fit Jones in terms of uh the system with Duke, uh, with uh, with Shermer, Paul, I think his mobility certainly fits in. Uh, his ability to deal with pressure, I think, is a good thing. He threw a lot of short to intermediate passes at Duke, which I think is a good thing. 
Just your general thoughts in terms of, of his fit in what Pat Shermer is going to ask him to do. Well, I think what I like about Jones is his ability to maintain poise in the pocket and also to be able to not only roll out but to throw on the run, read defenses. I, I don't think there's going to be much problem here. And in terms of dumping off, he's got Saquon Barkley. I think that's going to make him very comfortable right out of the gate. And I believe we have our guest on the line, which is great news. Yes, that's true. Let's get to Jeff Comision. He is the Old Dominion defensive line coach. We thank him a lot for joining us right here on Giants.com to talk about the Giants' third-round pick, O'Shane Zimenez. He's out recruiting, taking some time. I'm sure you got a lot of long drives in front of you, Jeff. <laughs> you got John Schmelkin, Paul DeTino, and East Rutherford. How are you? I am well. Yourself? Uh, we're doing great, uh, Jeff, and we've heard nothing but rave reviews about O'Shane as a person first, and let's start there. No one had more direct contact and exposure to him than you over the last five seasons. Why... Do you think he has what it takes on the inside to make it as an NFL football player? Well, I just think it's uh, his makeup. It's how he was raised. You know, he comes from a blue-collar family. Mom and dad are just good people, put their head down, work hard, raise him the right way, taught him about work ethic and uh, if you want to be successful in life, the things you need to do to be successful in life, they instill those in him, and uh, that's what he's taken with him to college, and now he's going to take it to the Giants. You know, Jeff, o O'Shane uh, Zimenez, as we talk to you about this Old Dominion pass rusher, is a guy who caught a lot of attention of NFL scouts, he even got invited to the Reese's Senior Bowl. And, you know, there's little question about his skill set. But if you could talk to us about his development from the time that you first got your hands on him to how much he has progressed and what you think he will also need to do as he goes to the next level. I think when he first got to campus, you could tell there was something a little bit different about him. You know, he's he's uh, he played very aggressively, he used his hands well. You know, he was always being productive no matter what you put him, what situation you put him on the field. So you knew that you could just get a, had a chance to be a special player. And to his credit, you know, he, he just said he put his head down and went to work. He, he learned how to work with his hands, use his hands in pass rush, learn how to use his athleticism to set things up, uh, learn how to counter. When you're working one edge, there's maybe something's taken away from you, how to counter and get back to where you need to get to. So it's something where his development is really a result of him, you know, buying into the fact that he had to work at these things and then putting his head down and working. And those are the same qualities he's going to bring to the table of the Giants. I don't think he has reached his ceiling yet, and he's going to continue to work and develop and get better. I know uh, Coach Dawson's got a hold of him now, and I know he's going to take him and take him to another level. We're joined by Jeff Comision. He is the... Defensive line coach for Old Dominion. He coached O'Shane Zimmon as the Giants' third-round pick. The one thing I noticed on tape, and Pat Shermer mentioned at the post-draft press conference, coaches, he has a variety of pass rush moves. A lot of times you'll see these guys in college just bend the edge and maybe have one counter. He's doing swipes. He has good hand usage. He's inside spins. He has a variety of moves. Is that something that you saw develop, and is that something you worked with him specifically on during his time at Old Dominion? Well, it is something that we worked on a little bit, but, you know, the work he put in to getting good at those things. And he has very good pass rush instincts as far as understanding where he is in relationship to the quarterback. So a lot of times what he does is his instincts take over and he'll react to what, what the offensive lineman gives him. You know, so, yeah, he, he worked in using his hands, but those instincts are something that, you know, some people have and others don't. Jeff, no disrespect intended, but when people say that he dropped out of the first round and would be a second or a third round pick, depending upon your evaluation, they'll say he didn't play at a Power 5 conference. He didn't play at one of the superpower schools. And again, no disrespect intended to you, your staff, or the program at Old Dominion. But is there any validity in your mind that he might have been able to play at a Ohio State type of program, a powerhouse program. Dave Gettleman, the Giants GM, says when he goes to look at a player, if he's not at one of those power schools, he says to himself, can I envision him in a lineup that would be equivalent to a school of that nature? Is that a fair question and something that, that you can discuss? Well, um, I understand the reason for the questions. And, and uh, you know, he, they said he's not at a power five school. It's Old Dominion. Uh, but if you look at his body of work, and, I mean, he played Virginia Tech, he's played North Carolina State, played North Carolina, and all those teams that he played against, which are Power 5 schools, mm -hmm. established schools, he produced. He could play at those schools. 
What do you think, Coach, the next step is for him as he takes another big step up in the competition level from college to the pros? Where does he need to get a little bit better to make that transition a little bit smoother? Well, I know he's you know, played the outside linebacker position, the coverage part of things. I think he has a good understanding of it but can get better at it. But really, in all aspects, he said, you know, O'Shane has, has learned a lot about the game. However, there's still more to, be, to learn. There's still more that he can develop at in all aspects of the game. And I think the guys at the Giants, the coaching staff at the Giants, uh, can definitely hone in on the things they need him to do and help him to, you know, be the best he can be while he's there for them. Do you think his frame still allows some room to add some strength, add some power to maybe add some speed to power and some bull rush into his pass rush mix? Well, that's the thing. Is he's 255 right now around that, around that, and he's lean. So, you know, he could probably put on a, a couple more pounds, you know, but the one thing is the kid is, I mean, he's a 400-pound bencher. He's got some power. Wow. And he uses his hands well. So, um, yeah, there's room for growth. Right, but it's going to come down to basically what the team needs him to do. Got it. If I were to say to you, Coach, uh, that that I'd like to look at his best game, the game that is the trademark game of the X-Man while he was at Old Dominion, what game would that be? What game would you want me to see to get a really good idea of what he's about? I would say uh, the Virginia Tech game he played this past year, mm-hmm. senior year. Um, he had two sacks in the game, You know, made plays. We actually messed him up at times against different offensive linemen. I mean, he, when he wasn't hitting the quarterback, he was at least in the backfield forcing the issue. Mm-hmm. Right? He, and he did a lot for us in that game. And Coach, my understanding is, too, at halftime, he made a bit of an impassioned plea to the team to kind of step up, and then he led the way a little bit, too, right? That's why he's the leader. He's the leader <laughs> of the team. Not only, he, he's, uh, not only is he going to do it himself, he's going to demand it of others. That's what you want. Could you tell us something about him that, that maybe we don't know Something that would that would really add some some intangible value to him. I mean, I, I don't know if the Giants talked to you. They probably did. I'm sure a lot of teams talked to you as they tried to do background on him. Is there something that's not obvious that's going to allow him to gain that extra edge? The the one thing is, and I saw him all through his career, and you know, is he's going to get, do whatever is necessary. You know, some guys are going to come in there, they're going to get in their comfort zone maybe at times, and they're afraid to get out of their comfort zone. But he's going to do whatever is necessary. So whatever that team needs, whatever the coaches need, his teammates, whatever is necessary to help him and that team be successful, he will do it. And he won't say boo about it. That's the kind of person he is. Jeff, final one from me. Sometimes the jump from college to the pros has as much, and the success a player has, has as much to do with his physical skill set as it does how the player handles the change in lifestyle, uh, going to New York, handling getting your first big contract, having to do all that stuff on your own, finding a place to live, being away from your support system. How do you think O'Shane's going to handle that part of his transition to the league? He'll handle it just fine. I said his character is, you know, there's no question about his character, the type of person he is. Right, he's a very grounded individual from that standpoint. And also, too, he has family right there in New York. That's a good point. So he has people around a good support system. Final question from me, Jeff. Uh, as you guys approach the draft, and I know there was so much interest in him, uh, what, what was the number one thing that NFL teams asked you when they came to scout him? And, and how hot was the interest? Is it legit to say, and we've heard people tell us, they thought he could have been a second-round pick? Is that the kind of the, the temperature that you got going into the draft? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I, I know that he could have been, at very least been a second-round pick. Um, but the, the one question that everybody asks is, you know, is he a, you know, is he a defensive end? Is he a 4-3 outside linebacker? And I told him, say, his skill set, he can do both. And he's done both for us at Old Dominion. He can do both at the next level. Coach, thank you very much. We appreciate it. We enjoyed you watching, uh, lining him up all over the field. It was fun to watch on tape getting ready for the draft. Congratulations on the job you guys are doing with the program down there. It's really come a long way. Congratulations, and we appreciate the time. Thank you so much, Jeff. Hey, hey thank you. Appreciate it, fellas. Have thank a great you, Coach. Day. Good luck recruiting and safe travels, my friend. Jeff Comisiong, the defensive line coach for Old Dominion. And yet, we, we, he, talk, he just said, your last question was a good one, and he talked about him going from a 4-3 DN to a 3-4 stand-up guy. He stood up and rushed from Old Dominion plenty. Mm-hmm. He, he answered one of my questions with the one thing maybe if he has to improve upon, it is doing some of the coverage stuff. And off the bat, to me, that's a developmental part of this, Paul. I think, and 
I don't have any information on this, but my opinion is, at least in my anticipation, when he's in the game this year, he's, he's going forward. He's being. He's gonna. <laughs> he's not Lorenzo Carter, who I, who actually covered last in college more than he yes, rushed the quarterback. That is correct. So. Zimenez is the opposite. So I think when he's in the game, he, he's going to rush the quarterback here. So as we talk about Team Fitz, Paul, let's talk about that next. And let's go to Zimenez. We'll get back to the two first-round picks in a second. Uh, your thoughts on Zimenez and that transition to the 3-4 defense? Well, it seems to me, as you say, John, and, and I wholeheartedly agree, he's going to be going forward. He's going to be asked to rush the passer probably 98% of the time when he's in a game. And, and yeah, you know what? Sometimes you don't necessarily want to telegraph what your guys are going to do because it makes it easier for an offensive coordinator. Oh, he's in the game. He's going to be the rush guy. Well, what you can do is you can move him around a little bit. You might be able to say, okay, he's going to do a stunt or a twist or he's going to go A-gap or B-gap or he's going to go edge. You could do different things with him even though they know he's primarily going to rush. I think if he's in the game in sub-packages and he's going to be, Again, 95%, let's say, rush guy. It seems to me in those situations, Lorenzo Carter is going to be over on the strong side, and and X-Man will be the weak side backer, I would think. Well, in sub-packages, he's not going to be a backer. He's going to be a defensive end. Well, stand-up. Right. I, I, I see when I – for me, stand-up defensive ends are, are, are still backers, but they're edge, they're edge guys. Let's call, call them edge guys. I, I, I'm, okay. I'm, uh, you know, the, the nomenclature yeah, is crazy. But in nickel and dime – He's not a stand-up guy. His hand's going to be in the dirt. I think he's going to do a lot more stand-up than you think. Well, that, he, that's he what, might. That's, with he's so good at his bend and his coming around the edge. He's so good at that. You don't want him on. The, uh, you don't want him with his his uh, hand in the dirt. I think he's going to do a lot more stand-up than I you mean, think. He had his hand in the dirt plenty in college. Well, whatever. It, 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 it really doesn't make a difference. So this is now where the Giants stand at edge rusher. They got Kareem Martin and Lorenzo Carter as returning players. You have the additions in the draft with O'Shane Zimenez. You have Avery Moss, who's going to try for a third year uh, to make the active roster this year. Marcus Golden was a free agent addition. And those are going to be your five guys, and I imagine only four are probably going to make the final roster as my bet out of that group. And it'll be a competition. We'll see who starts. I'm guessing Lorenzo Carter is almost certainly going to be one of those two starters, but yeah, he'll have to earn it. I agree. My guess is that he will earn it because he's going to play well enough. And then we'll see what the rest can give you, and hopefully you can find a consistent pass rusher out of that group, whether it's Golden, who, you know, gets back to what he was before his injury, whether it's Carter taking a step, Zimenez coming in and doing it. You hope you get a consistent guy that can win one-on-one out of that group, and we'll see if it happens. Well, in continuing to talk about the edge guys, and not that Kerry Wynn was really a bunch of a pass rusher because he wasn't, but he was a defensive end for the most part when the Giants used him on the field. He's now gone. And so who becomes Kerry Wynn? Because his hand was in the dirt. Kerry Wynn was not a stand-up guy in any way, shape, or form. He was a down lineman. Who becomes that guy? That's a better question for you, John. And I'll be honest with you. I'm a little curious, as I've said for months, about Avery Moss. To me, that might wind up being Avery Moss if he can really have a bust-out summer training camp. We will find out. All right, the two other first-round picks. We're going to try to go through these a little bit quicker, guys, because it's 1220 already. We want to make sure we get to your calls. Um, I think in terms of Dexter Lawrence, I could see him playing the one. I could see him playing the three. I could see him playing the five. Why? I saw him play all those spots at Clemson. They moved him around. He was all over the field. And I think he'll be a very, very versatile player for this team. I imagine you'll see him in nose in the base probably more so then not, but once you get the sub, I could see him at three technique, I could see him at nose, and I think they're really going to hope that he can unleash some of that pass rush ability from the athleticism that maybe we didn't see that consistently at the college level. I'd be surprised. I think he's strictly going to be a nose. I, I, I think that the Giants are going to play with B.J. Hill on the outside. I think they're going to play with Tomlinson on the outside well, some. As the outside as they are in the three-man right. front. Right. Well, because what happens is, again, we're, 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 we deal with nomenclature here, Correct. John. Because mm-hmm. really, when you're playing your 3-4, a lot of times you're going to have two stand-up backers on the outside with a five-man front a lot. And what you're going to have, basically, folks, this is how it works. You're going to have the nose guard straight up on the center, and you're going to have the two 3-4 defensive ends usually just inside or straight up on the offensive tackle, and then you can have the pass rusher outside of those players. I mean, think of the old Belichick scheme. Okay, when they ran the 3-4 in the 80s here with the Giants, 
You had Lawrence as the stand-up defensive end, the edge guy, which they didn't call him an edge guy in those mm -hmm. days, but he was the outside linebacker as the stand-up defensive end. Many a times, you had Banks right up there on the line on the other side. Sure. Now, there were times he wasn't. Sometimes he was a little bit off. Sometimes, you know, he was doing some different things. But many a times, that was a five-man front. I suspect you're going to see a lot of that with the Giants this year. So, in effect, sure. in effect, Lawrence becomes the nose tackle in, in, in a five-man front because he's the guy in the middle. That, that, it's a nomenclature issue. We're, just, we're talking different eras and different nomenclature Correct. here. That's all. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah, and then you'll have Hill and Tomlinson at where Betcher talks about the three technique, which right. is playing in between the guard and the tackle, and then the five technique, which is usually right over the tackle, right over the outside shoulder of the tackle, and those guys will try to get up the field. Remember, the Giants don't run a run what you call a two-gap defensive front where you're trying to you know occupy two gaps and just take up space. They're running a one gap system where they want you to penetrate in a single gap. So just I know the nomenclature can get complicated for people. Hopefully we made it a little bit clearer there. Uh the corners, I mean, frankly, fit with corners isn't that big of a deal. We know James Betcher wants to press and play man and all the guys that they drafted can do that. Mm -hmm. They're gonna get plugged in and we're gonna see how well they can cover. It's pretty much that simple, isn't it? Well, we had also said going into the draft that these corners are different flavors. And, right. you know, if you like vanilla, you like chocolate, you like strawberry, you're going to like different corners higher on the board than others because of the style that they play. Well, guess what? The Giants drafted three corners that all are very comfortable playing press man. There's a reason for that because Betcher wants to do it. You don't draft a zone corner if you're going to play this kind of scheme. So I think absolutely. And I think that Love is probably more of an inside guy than Baker is. Oh, absolutely. Okay. 100%. So it would surprise me if Baker is working inside. I think he's more apt to be working outside, and he will compete with Beal at the beginning. But I also think something else, folks, and I, I don't know how much this has been talked about, but I wouldn't be surprised if one of these guys – not only winds up in the dime, which I think more and more teams are playing more and more dime because it's a passing league, it wouldn't also surprise me maybe if at some point during the season somebody, particularly uh, Love, winds up being the safety. Well, that's what Dave Gettleman said. Shocked. Dave Gettleman said that on a serious interview with Pat Carlin. Did he? he thinks, I didn't hear that. Yeah, he says that he thinks at some point, if you want to play free safety because of his football intelligence, he thinks he might be able to. I would not. Look, Antoine Bethea is 34 years old. You want to talk about guys not playing forever? I could see Love at some point, you know, moving into that spot for whatever reason. So, And now all of a sudden you feel good about five corners that are going to be on the roster. Baker, Beal, Jenkins, Love. Haley, Ballantyne. Heck, that's six. And you know what? All six might not make it. They're all making it. You think all six are making no it No doubt sure? in my mind. I would I be mean, surprised uh, if they didn't. I, 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 I'm with you. Six is hard to carry, though, a corner sometimes. You know that. Except that we, we know that the guys they've brought in right. are all physical and will play specials. So they will have value on more than one unit. Right. And then, by the way, the depth in the defensive line, Olsen, Pierre, R.J. McIntosh, and then a couple of guys that will compete with those two for the backup defensive line spots. Mm -hmm. um, offensive tackle, we've talked about it with, with uh, Big George coming out of Kentucky. Um, he'll compete with Chad Wheeler on the right side. We'll see if they add a veteran. Player obviously, X. <laughs> obviously, look, I can mention the name because the Giants, they, Dave yeah. Gentleman talked about him. Uh, Mike Remmers, who's underwent back surgery, and they'll get him back in here after he does some rehab on that back, and they'll see if he fits. So, that's certainly an option down the road there. And, you know, Chris Lane, obviously, the, uh, the the Syracuse draft pick, he'll be competing for that backup defensive line spot with R.J. McIntosh and Olsen Pierre as well. So that kind of hits all the draft picks a little bit. Oh, and the linebacker out of Wisconsin, I forgot about Connolly. Connolly. Yeah, he's someone that, you know, on the inside, once you get past Ogletree and Goodson, you got Tay Davis, Nate Stupar, and then you have Connolly. So he'll compete with those guys for playing time. But the way that guy gets his shirt on game day is if he plays really well on special teams. That's, that's, how, he, that's how he's getting his jersey. Well, it's and quite honestly, that's how he makes the 53. And by the way, that's how Corey Ballantyne gets a jersey on game days too. Because he could be an inactive guy given all the depth at corner. Yes. He's going to have to play specials to get a jersey. Yes, I agree with that. I, I feel confident about his ability to be on the 53. But, but to be on the game day roster, 
yeah, you're going to have to excel on the third team. You have to. Hey, look, fifth, fifth round picks and later, if you want to play, you want to be you want to be active, you want to get a jersey, play special teams. Get after it. And and you know what? Did you mention Slate in the wide receiver? Oh, I did not mention. I forgot there's so many damn picks this year. I did not mention well, Darius Slate. Thank you. Go ahead. And and honestly, John, think about this. Who's the one burner right now in that receiving room? It's Coleman. He's the one yeah. burner. And Latimer to an extent. Mm, I, I don't consider him a burner. And that's fair. Okay. That's very fair. So so with only one burner in the room, Slayton's going to have an opportunity if he just kicks butt and shows big time during training camp, he's going to make the team. I'm telling you that right now. He'll be one of the five receivers if he shows up big in training camp. I think he can do it. They, yeah, they want speed out of that spot. I would, I mean, yeah. I think he's got a real shot too, and that Auburn mess, that Auburn offense was a mess last year, so I would not take his numbers uh, to heart in terms of how effective of a player that. Well, his he was. average yards per catch, you can. He's over eighteen yards a catch. You could take that. To correct, heart. but he only had, what 27, 34 30 something, 30 something, catches. Yeah, 30 something like something that. Catches, I think. Uh, at Matt G, I think it was at Matt Giannatino. Ballantyne could be useful as a free safety. Love also, especially with Peppers playing in the box more and as Bethea gets older, closer to retirement. I see Ballantyne as a corner, to be honest with you. With his so size, speed, and, and turning ability, I like the love idea at free safety. I think Ballantyne's going to stick a cornerback. 201-939-4513. Let's get to the phone calls and lead off with who's been holding the longest. is Stash in Washington. What's up, buddy? Hey, what's up, guys? Hey, there's a couple of quick things I wanted to uh, yep. uh, bring up. One is, um, obviously, Jones wasn't my pick. I wanted Josh Allen, but that being said, he's a giant, and I and especially after all the hate that this kid is getting right now, like I want nothing more for when his time comes that he lights it up and that everyone owes this kid an apology. Like it is, it, it is just disgusting the way they're smashing this kid in the media right now. And, and, and Stash, the best part like, is, if it's his fault. and Stash, the best part of it is the people that are really slamming him aren't the people that did the work and actually have an honest opinion on the kid. It's all the kid. It's all the people that are reading the people's work that did all the work on the kid and then come to a conclusion and then they rip the kid without actually putting any effort into learning anything about him. Before they rip him. That's you what know, annoys me. You know, for all the similarities that are talked about that he's like Eli Manning, if he turns out to be more like <laughs> Phil Simms, that'd be even better. Because when Phil was drafted seventh overall, it was universally booed. Nobody knew who he was. His college stats were horrible. And the Giants were supposedly the dumbest franchise in the world for taking him in the first round. Well, Phil Simms is a legend and a borderline Hall of Famer. So if Daniel Jones follows the Phil Simms path... I think that's going to be pretty good. But let's just put it this way. I think it's a robbery that Phil Simms isn't in the Hall of Fame yet. Uh, and the longer it goes, the, the, the harder it is. You, you know, the less yeah. likely you feel like he's going to get in. But when he left, when he retired, his numbers were there. He should have been in the Hall. Maybe not first, but at least second or third ballot. He should have been in, to my opinion. I second understand. Thing real quick, uh, second thing real quick um, is uh, – I don't know if you guys heard it, but Chris Carter like owes the Giants a public apology. Chris Carter's opinion. an idiot. The, 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 Chris Carter's an he's idiot. A, he's a moron. He, he's a moron. I couldn't, I couldn't believe he said that. Like, just look at the Giants' history. Not to mention, we had the longest-standing uh, African American GM of any person in the league. And by and the way, and Stash, Stash, not just GM. His lieutenant was also African American, by the way. That were both here for yeah, a long time. The, 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 the first assistant, uh, the first African American assistant coach in the NFL was on the Giants. Like, like it, it, it's it's disgusting, and then the fact that so many coattail riders jumped on that and was all like, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah," banging on the door. Like, I, if I was to see that man, he'd catch an elbow for me. That's all I'm saying. And <laughs> la, I, I'm only going to add two names: <laughs> Emlyn Tunnell and Roosevelt Brown. I have nothing else to say. Correct. <laughs> Like Roosevelt Brown, you know how loved he is. That's crazy, right? Uh, anyway, lastly, is a, is a technical um, uh, constructive criticism for you, and I don't want, hope you don't take this offense in any way, right? Because I love the show. I've been listening to you guys since it was a thirty-minute program. Like, <laughs> love the show. But there are times when you're on the call, and I hear you battling with the caller to try to talk while they're talking. Um, if you, it all depends on how your board is set up. But if your channels aren't set up independently, we don't hear that. 
There was an instance with you and I about three years ago where you hung up on me thinking I was trying to overtalk you, but I couldn't hear you. So uh, you, it's an easy fix. Like, if you set your lines up independently, then when you talk and someone else talks, both those lines will hit each other and, and you can hear. No, Sash, what it not, is, Sash, what it is, it depends on the phone that people are there on. There could be a delay. Yeah, that's what it is. Depending on the yeah. phone people are on, if you're talking and somebody's trying to talk to you on your specific phone, people will not hear. We have a million instances where we do talk. Like, just now, you heard me say something, right, while you were talking, and you— and you let us go. So it, it isn't on our end. It's very frustrating for us because it really depends on the phone that the people are on, whether yeah. or not they will hear what we're saying while they're continuing to talk. Yeah, I just want you know, just, uh, just wanted to let you know, I, lo I love the show. I don't like hearing you guys get frustrated with the <laughs> nah, you know, I appreciate the fans, that. The fans, That's okay. Thank you, Stash. Call us back again soon. Good Take stuff, care. Man. Always good to hear from you. And trust right, guys. me. Hey, thank you so much for all the coverage this offseason. Hey, you're welcome, all right, man. Have a good day. And thank you for being such a long listener to the show. We appreciate it. Yeah, trust me. It's frustrating for me, and I, I've I, I, I built the damn thing, so I've gone through it a million times. <laughs> and it's just, a matter of what, it's just a matter of what phone people are on. That's it. Let's go to uh, Jay out in Japan. This is the third time I've heard from Jay over the weekend. Yeah, What's up, buddy? how about that? What's going on, guys? Hello. Um, so... I have two statements and one. I have two statements and two questions. I'll try to keep it fast. Go ahead. Um, when everything that we hear about Daniel Jones, we hear weak arm. Like, what does that mean when they say weak arm? Weak? No, no, no. Who's ever said weak? Yeah, he doesn't have a weak arm, Jay. He has, I would say, an average NFL arm. His arm to me is very comparable to what Matt Ryan has. Just FYI, that it, that would be my comparison for his arm strength. It's an okay pro arm. That's all, and that's okay. fine. Okay. Second, okay. Secondly, um, these analysts, these analysts that are on TV, these media analysts, or whatever, do they have access to full tape? Like, because I know, like Daniel Jones played three years in in college. Yes. So that's roughly thirty nine games. Do they have access to all thirty nine of those games? Uh, it, it depends do on the guy. A, a lot of these right. guys do get access to the coaches' tape. Like I know Dane Brugler gets coaches' tape. Matt Miller get coach gets okay. coaches' tape. Tony Pauline I know gets coaches' tape. A lot of those guys do, the guys that we have on because we trust them. I think there are other people right. that are that are flying by the seat of their pants. And I'll tell you what, I don't think any of the writers get it, period. Oh, no, they do I don't right. think any of the writers in the New York metropolitan area who like to pontificate about a lot of things they don't know about, they're not getting it. Right, right. and I think that's what a lot of fans are listening to, to those people that are un, un, not uninformed. So I did some digging, and uh, I looked up at next-gen stats, and there's something called Longest complete, longest completed air distance, so longest yards through the air, not like a dump off that went for a yak yard. Right, right. And the average in the NFL is fifty four point oh six yards through the air. Eli is sitting at fifty five point six. Rivers is fifty five. Wentz is fifty five. Rollinsburg is fifty three. So that shows you. I mean, and I mean, take stats for it with a grain of salt, right? But that tells me that Eli can still sling the ball through the air for 55 yards. Like, he's done it. Right? Sure. Oh, I, I, I don't need stats to tell me that. My eyes can tell me that. Right. So I would say that that's the average. So if this kid can come in and sling the ball for 50 yards to the air, I think that that's fine. I don't, I don't need him to throw the ball for 70 yards to the air. You rarely do that anyway. If the average is 54. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Jay, I would say I think Eli has a stronger arm. Than, than Jones does. Yes. I, I would like to see Jones on the practice field 15 feet in front of my face, which I'll get to see in a couple of days, right. and I'm very excited about it. Mm -hmm. But just watching him at the Senior Bowl in person, which is my only in-person exposure to him, uh, he has a good enough arm. He does not. I don't think he quite has the arm strength that Eli has. Let, let, let me just okay. add one thing to you. Fran Tarkenton yep. had a weak arm, all right? One of the most prolific passers in NFL history. In fact, at the time he retired, he was the number one guy, okay? And Fran knew what he was doing, and he threw a lot of dump-offs, a lot of check-downs, a lot of short stuff, but there were times where Fran got it long, too. And Homer Jones, you know, who's got the highest average per catch in the history of the National Football League for those who qualify, well, how do you think he got that? He got that because Fran was getting it to him downfield, and Fran was known as having what would be, at best, an average NFL arm. It doesn't just because that's the. It means you have to tailor what you do to make sure that you fit certain things. The only requirement there is of an NFL quarterback 
is that he has enough of an arm so that a defensive coordinator has to worry about the entire route true tree. If I can cheat as the defensive coordinator and say, oh, he can't make that throw and he can't make that throw, well, now that's a problem. Correct. As long as he can make all the throws on the tree, it's sufficient enough. And that's right. where Jones is at. He can make all the throws on the tree. He doesn't have to be a, you know super spectacular and blow you away. He just has to keep a coordinator honest. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I've been battling Giants fans on Twitter all day, and I just wanted—I just wanted to kind of get that off my chest with you guys and kind of get more clarification. All right. Thank you guys so much, man. Love the show. Uh, I'll be calling in a lot more often. Um, thanks. Not nah, excellent, okay. Jay. Always good to hear from you. And again, uh, thank you for your service. We uh, we we appreciate your serving out there in Japan for sure. Uh, yeah. Now, John, to piggyback off of that, sure, Chad Pennington mm-hmm. played here in New York with the Jets. Jones has a better arm than Chad Pennington, and that's the point. Correct. Chad Pennington could not make all the throws on the route tree consistently. Therefore, they had to mutate their offense, and coordinators could cheat in certain ways because they knew Chad couldn't get the ball there. That's not what we're talking about with Daniel Jones. No, it is not. And the most important thing to me for a quarterback is always accuracy. You have to have good enough arm strength. It doesn't have to be elite, but you have to be accurate. And I think Daniel Jones, I would consider an accurate thrower of the football. Does he have elite accuracy consistently enough? That's, I think, a fair question, and I look forward to seeing him up close when he doesn't have 18 defensive linemen in his face trying to murder him on every play. But if you have a bigger question about whether or not he's going to translate to the pros, pay attention to the accuracy. Don't pay attention to the arm strength because accuracy is what matters a whole lot more. Yeah, it does. And actually, when you watch him, and this is what I'm looking for because you, you don't see it on film as much. In person, watch when they talk about the spin of the ball. It's the rotation of the ball when it comes out of the guy's hands. Now, we all know Eli Manning does not throw the most perfect, consistent spirals. He never did. Sims spun that ball really well, though. Phil Phil could really let it go. Absolutely. Okay? Now, and by the way, you will hear it. You hear the... As the ball goes through the air. And because of the spin and the rotation, if it's a tighter spin and a tighter rotation, the ball will cut through the wind better. It'll carry. Yep. Therefore... Okay, you will get a little extra on it as opposed to maybe somebody who doesn't throw that perfect spiral. And, of course, the guy who comes to mind more than anybody is Billy Kilmer, who played with the Saints and the Redskins back in the 70s. Billy Kilmer threw the ugliest wounded ducks in NFL history, and somehow he had a really terrific NFL career. God knows how he did it, but it was wounded duck after wounded duck. Well, obviously, that's going to hurt the distance on his throws because of the way the ball comes out. So I'm anxious to see how pretty are those throws when it comes out of Daniel Jones's hands when we're here outside in the Meadowlands conditions. That's going to be a really, really big point of interest for me. Yeah, how well can he cut through the wind and the weather and the cold? Yeah, I agree. I I think that's part of it. That's important. And Again, folks, just the accuracy is is what counts. Can he be consistently accurate, especially down the field, which can be... I feel pretty darn good about his short to intermediate accuracy, Mm -hmm. especially his short accuracy. But as he gets down the field, I saw enough throws or maybe it wasn't perfect. So we'll see how that goes when he gets here and I get to see him in person more consistently. The guy who had the strongest arm in combination with the prettiest spin and long throws was Kerry Collins absolutely sensational, consistently darts down the field with tremendous arm strength, threw a prettier ball than Eli did, to be perfectly frank with you, and had more more juice on it. Uh, so, you know, let's see. 201-939-4513. Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by Coors Light. Chris in Buffalo is up next. Hey, Chris. Hey, how's it going, guys? What's I up? I love your show. I've been watching Hi. for a number of years now. Thank you. Um. Your guys' show is actually my only respite from watching uh, Bills fans jump through tables up here, so I appreciate it. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> um, just two quick things, then I'll get off the air let you guys get to other callers. Uh, first one, I like Daniel Jones. I like the pick. I didn't at first, but I watched a bunch of tape on him. He plays smart. He makes good decisions. Um, he actually makes 
he has a lot of good-looking deep throws, but you never see him in his highlight reel because his receivers never catch him. <laughs> that's not, you, so. you know what, Chris? You're not wrong about that. And that's the thing. I see a lot of really high-level throws from Jones, and then I see other throws where he's about to get hit or maybe there's double coverage, and his competitiveness gets like you know almost gets the better of him a little bit, where he'll then force the ball where he shouldn't. So I see both sides of that. Yeah, I agree. I, I feel like once once you take you know once you realize that you're watching a future NFL quarterback being protected by graphic designers and future sales <laughs> managers, it kind of falls into place. You're not wrong. There you go. Um, only other thing, this quick question. I'll get off the air. Who do you think? Both of you guys on the active roster um, will surpass expectations this upcoming season, hmm. and uh, you just really be surprised by. Thanks. Have a good one. Good question. Appreciate the call. Breakout player is kind of what he's asking for. Yeah, I think breakout player or maybe um, under the radar player. Wow. I think Lorenzo Card is going to have a sensational year, but I think a lot of people expect that of him, right? I mean, he's going to play a ton more snaps than he played as a rookie last season. He's going to be counted on to basically be a full-time guy. So if his production does not significantly increase, there's a problem. One so guy you could... I'll put that on him. Yeah. I'm a big Lorenzo Carter fan. But again, I think people are expecting it. Okay. And obviously, Peppers, he can't count him. I think Grant Haley has a chance. I'm kind of torn on Grant Haley, to be honest with you, because he was so good in the regular season last year. He really did a really, really good job. But, you know, in camp, I thought he was inconsistent. So are we getting the player that we saw in the summer or are we getting the player that we saw on the field for the last four or five games? Yeah, but his arrow so, is up, so I think there's no reason to believe it will go in the other direction. Um, I, I Look, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. During training camp, I wasn't so sure that Grant Haley was going to make the 53. I thought he was going to practice squad material. But then he made the team, and as he started to get more and more reps, especially in the last third of the season when they used him in the slot, which he had not played at Penn State, he turned out to be a very productive player. And I know the coaching staff loves Grant Haley. So, uh, again, this goes down to that, how much are you setting the bar? Where, where are you putting the expectations on the player? I think the coaches expect Grant Haley to be good. Yeah, I mean, look, if Grant Haley can hold off love, then I think – that's your surprise player. If he's your starting slot week one and he beats out the draft pick love, I think that's good. Yeah, I, sure. I think I think that's a reasonable thing to say because I, I think love is a heck of a player. Cool. 201-939-4513. Let's go to Scott in the Bronx who's up next. What's up, Scotty? Hey, Hi. How you doing, gentlemen? How's it going? Hello? Yes, hello. You're, you're oh, on. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Okay, it just broke up a little bit. Okay. Uh, first things first, uh, I have a couple things to say, then I have a question. Number one, I'm only a fan. I'm not in the draft room, the war room, selecting these players and have all this information on them. I have to say I'm disappointed in the draft from the quarterback and some of the selections of the defensive players. And I'll just go real quick through the quarterback. Um, do I feel he has potential? Yes, but I think they went high with it uh, with the draft. Um, I, I was a strong believer that the defense, which I think in the previous shows we all agreed somewhat on it, that defense should be in the first two rounds. I get that. First two, the first two picks. And uh, I'm looking where they left Allen on the board and Oliver on the board. Now the, the, the go move real quickly further down the draft here, uh, the X-Man, go by his name, X-Man. Mm -hmm. There's a guy at Boston College who can play down the dirt. His name was Allen. He had a faster 40 time to him off the ball, and I felt maybe they should have made one with him. Well, well Scott, or, Scott, real quick re re real quick on Zach Allen, he weighs 280 pounds. So he's not a guy that's, that, that's going to be a stand-up outside rusher for you, or even in my opinion, I saw him as more, <laughs> as more of a three technique than I saw him as an outside rusher. So, and I agree. Yeah. But, I mean, I felt the Giants could have used that very much so in that interior line there, and I, I felt that was it. Okay. The X-Man, though he had a great credentials, it was also a small town, uh, a, a small college. And the competition he won against was not of all the greatness that, that he showed there. Did now, you have a chance to – whoa, whoa time out. Pick, would, time out, yeah. time out. we got to hit the pause button here for just a second. Did you just hear our interview with the defensive line coach from Old Dominion? They played three up, upper echelon uh, schools that were of a higher level – 
then Conference USA at Old Dominion. And he said he performed extremely well in those games and pointed to the Virginia Tech game particularly as his best game. So in this instance, in this instance, I think there is at least a sample size uh, of the X-Man performing at an appropriate level that, that should quell some of the questions about the, the level of comp. And, and if you didn't hear that interview, please go back and check in the archive when it goes I, I up online. I did, but here's my, here's my counter to that. I'm not disagreeing with that. What I will say to you is that I felt he would be a great pick in the fourth or fifth round. Yeah, but he wouldn't have been there. There's no way he was going to be there. Jim Uh, Nagy from the Senior Bowl. We can say about a lot of players. Well, we could. We could, but Jim Nagy from the Senior Bowl said yesterday he thought he was a second-round pick. Second, And with all due respect, I think Nagy knows more about players than you do. Really? I mean, come on. Nagy's been doing this for, what, 40 years? How long have you been scouting players? I'm sorry, can you repeat that? I apologize. No, no, no. Jim, Nag- Jim Nagy's been doing this for 30, 40 years, right? I mean, if he, oh, okay. sa- if he says that, that he had second-round value on the guy, and, and even the assistant coach said, well, from what we heard from all the teams that were talking to him, we thought he was going to go in the second round. How can you say he's a fifth round? Well, well, Scott, 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 real quick, I'll say this. At the end of the third round, when we were live on Friday night, we were talking about three or four different edge rushers in that spot. We were talking about Christian Miller out of Alabama. Mm-hmm. We were talking about Ziminez yes. from Old Dominion. Yep. We were talking about Max Crosby from Eastern Michigan. And those, I think, were the three. Yeah. And maybe Anthony Nelson from Iowa was in the mix you, there, you too. Liked, you like Crosby and Nelson. I didn't. Correct. Well, yeah, Nelson, but, I, Nelson, I thought was point. more of a 4-3. But the point is that he was in the conversation, Scott. And I, I okay. honestly, I do think at the end of third round, I think it was more than fair to have him in the conversation along with those other guys. I mean, I don't know what Book said fifth round. I don't know what you're reading, but that's that's way okay, out of bounds. But, okay, gentlemen, again, I'm a fan, and, and, and I love your show. Mm-hmm. I'm just expressing my opinion. And that's I'm fine, of course. of course. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. I hope I'm totally wrong on this draft selection, and I'll be <laughs> the first one to eat crow and come back and apologize. But it's what I feel as a longtime Giant fan that they've done. Here's another point, too, Paul, especially you. You and I think about the the physicality of the offensive line, defensive line. Yep. I'm really disappointed that they waited for big – they want, they got big George at seven, okay? Okay. Let's say he may, he may be a dime in the rough. Let's go there. But there were other tackles they could have grabbed before that. And let's face it, the Giants' offensive line got better towards the end of the year last year. Mm-hmm. But they still need the, – there were some other big guys I felt they could have grabbed that would have solidified that right tackle. Scott, I, I got to hit the pause button again. John, tell him, how many times did I ask for an offensive lineman a tackle during Saturday's four-hour show? Yes, yeah, Scott, Paul, Paul was begging for a right tackle in round three, four, and five. And I actually – and trust me, I understand the need for one. I never thought the right tackle was the best player Starting on the board. Starting in the fourth, I was begging, Un- I think. Until you, eh, and the and third, then, you want to one I two. was itchy. I yeah. was itchy, but I liked the X-Man. <laughs> you did, absolutely. I never thought the offensive tackle was the best player on the board until you got to probably the Giants' sixth-round pick or late fifth-round pick. Up until then, I always thought there was a better player at a better position. So Scott, I'm with you. I believe that the 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 and position the, call, the position it. that is the most need that they were unable to fill was right tackle. Hundred percent. And I kept asking for David Edwards for how many? Three rounds? Four rounds? I kept saying David Edwards, David Edwards, Isaiah Prince from Ohio State. It got annoying. Isaiah Trust Prince. Me. He, you know, and and, <laughs> and and I made it clear that was my want. That's not what I thought the Giants were going to do because I don't know what they're going to do. I was saying my want is they got it. They got to get a hold of this spot now. As an addendum, clearly there is a very hot spot on the radar for Mike Remmers. So if they do wind up with the Mike Remmers signing at some point here during the offseason, well, that does address the hole to some degree. He's not going to come in and be an all-pro. He never has been in his career. He's not going to be one now. But is he a functional right tackle? Well, you ask the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings wanted to re-sign him, or should I say keep him around. They asked him to take a pay cut. He said no. They said, well, if you won't take the pay cut because there's a little injury question here, we're going to have to cut you. He said, okay, cut me. So, But why did the Vikings want to keep him if he's no good? He must be good. So Yeah, and folks, I just want to just jump up on what Scott said. Look, we want your guys' opinions. We want them. Um, and when we comment back, we give ours. You know, you give yours, and 
That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. We want you to call. No, and in, and in fact, I, I agree with probably well half of what he said. I mean, I was campaigning for a right tackle. I wasn't. He was. <laughs> I mean, Scott, you're not totally out of line on this. And I didn't think there was another pass rusher when they picked X Man. Where I'm like, all right, I know for a fact that I really like this guy more than than him. I, there were other guys in the mix, but now, I, I could definitely see Chef's Choice either way on those. Now, to be fair, at the time, if you guys go back and look at the archive and watch that show, John and I finally settled, I think, on Christian Miller, we thought, at that point. That's because correct. Because at that point, I think Miller is a more developed all-around outside linebacker than X-Man is. I think X-Man is probably with the higher ceiling and more pure potential as a pass rusher. But when you consider that Miller's coming out of a huge program like Alabama, and he also showed that he was strong enough and powerful enough to play and hold up against the run, he's probably more pro-ready to play more snaps because of that ability. So when push came to shove, 10 minutes before the pick, I was thinking X-Man, and then it was like when we made the pick, oh, okay, I'll take Miller. But I get it. I get it. There was really no other high ceiling potential pass rusher on the board after that pick. And frankly, and I know Dave said he thought it was a really deep position, but in my opinion, I'm and I said this many times during the show before we uh before we got up to the draft, once you got past that the, once you got past the Dalton Reisners and and Caleb McGarry's, I didn't think there was another plug and play offensive tackle in the draft. I just didn't. That was my personal opinion of the class. So I thought once you got past pick 37, I did not feel great about getting a day one right tackle starter in this class. And apparently the Giants maybe thought likewise because they never went in that direction. But that was always my opinion. Well, you know what's interesting? And I, and I, I remember saying to you, I thought you could get one in the fourth or maybe the fifth. After the draft was over, did you listen to the whole presser with Dave? Yeah. You were in there, right? Sure. Gettleman said... And I want to say it was the fifth round. He said after the, I think it was after the fifth round, he said we did not have anybody else graded at that point for offensive tackle. Yeah, it was there wiped was a out. deep drop. Yeah. It was wiped out. That's what he said. Mm-hmm. Which meant he thought the same thing, that if we're going to get a tackle to compete for a starting job, as it turned out, it was going to have to be in the first five rounds, or after that, it was going to be a crapshoot. And maybe I, I shouldn't use that word. I should say it's it's going to be a flyer. You're, you're throwing darts against the wall and I just taking a shot. Of course, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's what they did with Big George in the seventh. They just took a, a they threw a dart against the wall, took a flyer on him. Let's take a shot. But but Dave made it clear that he thought all of the potential plug and play possible starting competition tackles were gone by the middle of Saturday. And quite honestly, John, you know what that meant. Those four defensive players they took after Jones, right? would you have wanted to give up any of those guys when you knew potentially that you'd have Remmers coming in here in a month anyway? Well, that was my point. I never would you have th- wanted to give up Slayton? I never thought the right tackle was the best player on the board. You know? I just never did. And 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 Slayton, the speedy wide receiver, that, that yeah. you know they think he could really add something to the deep yeah. game. In retrospect, again, now this is where not everybody knows everything that's going on. Uh, Dave did reveal after the draft that there is a significant plan in place that has some some merit to it, some legs to it, about bringing Remmers in. Well, if you knew that beforehand and you were confident in that beforehand, it could alter your your plan a little bit. And he does seem very confident now that, that something will happen with Remmers. That does adjust your line of thinking. We all thought that something was in place, but we didn't know how confident he was. Final two calls of the show. Len in Columbia, Maryland is first. Hello, Len. Hey, guys. How you doing? Doing great. Hi, Len. Hey, um, hey, Paul, real quick, let mm-hmm. me just say, Emlyn Tennell, one of the three best ever to put the uniform mm-hmm. on with the Giants. Mm-hmm. A dynamite. I don't have a problem just, with well, that. He's yeah, certainly in the top ten. an understatement. Yeah, well, <laughs> one of the greatest giants Listen, ever. Thanks for the call on the technology, John. You and I have talked about it before. Yes, we have. I, I just hope all your, all your hosts, even when we get into the season, understand the dilemma because over my eight- or nine-year period with this show, John, you've got about the most courteous call base you're going you're gonna to find on the Internet. Oh, yeah. I mean, Our callers just, are great. You know, it's terrific. So, Our callers are great. You know, to sometimes hear the hosts yelling and then maybe even hanging up. Um, I, 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 I hope you can fix the technology. 
Um, you know, Rimmers, um, everywhere he's been, he started. <laughs> I mean, the guy has started about 60 NFL games. He's, he's a pretty good tackle. He's legit. He's certainly an NFL tackle. Yeah, he's and, legit. And, um, I mean, even even you know, even with the Vikings, you know, two years. Sherman knows him well. Um, when he was with Carolina, I mean, Carolina went to the Super Bowl. He was a starting right tackle. He yep. had a tough game in the Super Bowl. He did <laughs> against Von Miller, but that was Aww. Miller at his peak in his yeah. career, at yeah. his best yeah. in a game. But um, you know, he held off Darrell Williams for a couple of years. Lance. As a starter, so he's a, he's a. I think our biggest competition for Remmers is going to be the Vikings. Might be. I mean, I I would not be surprised if the Vikings get back in this. They they did want him back. back is, once the back is right, or they believe it's right, uh, that. That, that, that they're going to try to hold on to him. Len, the, um, the, the, the gauge here is very simple, and I, I address this to you specifically because you and I have had this conversation many times over the last several years. The gauge is simple. Is the player functional enough that you don't have to eat parts of your playbook to get your offense going? And that's the litmus test. If the point. guy is functional enough to do everything you want to do, he is good enough, and that's it. Doesn't have to be an all-pro. He just has to be able to allow you to do your plays. And I think Absolutely. Remmers is that good. Absolutely. I, 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 th I think you're right on that, Paul. I think you're right. Listen, on the draft, if, if I've got another minute, um, I, I think it was okay. I mean, I'm not crazy about it. One of the things I did was, you know, look at the Eagles, look at the Cowboys, look at the Redskins. And in the case of the Eagles and the Cowboys, we almost had twice the number of picks than they do, and I like that. I think if you have twice as much as your competition, I think you can do better than the competition in the draft. But the question is, how much ground did we make up? I mean, you know, we were one and five in the division two years in a row. I mean, I, you know, we got to look at this from the standpoint of can can we start making up ground? Can, can we go two and four? I, you know, but it, it's. I think all ten. Listen, I think all ten players can make the fifty-three. You know, just talking about Big George, I'm looking at the Giants roster. I'm looking down the tackles. What what makes us think that Big George can't can't make the 53? I didn't say start. I said make the 53. He's got a shot. He's got a shot. We'll see. Yeah. Now, um, as you get closer to the front end of the draft, well, you know, you got to go to the first pick. I I hope um, you know I hope Mr. Gettleman was right on with this pick. I really do. No, he has to be. I, I have a bias toward. I mean, I got a bias toward Eli. You guys know that. I'm I'm not going to try to hide that anymore. Um, but, but you know, I hope I hope this guy makes it. I would have. I think if I'm going to grade it, and I'm not going to I'm not going to give you a letter, but if I'm going to grade this, I feel better with Allen and Lawrence or Paul even better. Lawrence and Dillard. I feel a grade better. If, if no, not Lawrence and Dillard. I'm sorry, Allen and Dillard. So with Allen at the front end, I feel a lot better about the total draft. But I think we improved our team. Uh, hopefully, it's by a lot that we can catch our competition in the division, and um, you know, when we move forward from there. And Sounds listen, good. thanks for taking the call. It's a great show. You guys were great last week, Paul. Your, your your face on Saturday as we went round by round not picking a tackle, I mean, it was telling. <laughs> you looked really frustrated. I can't play poker. Thank you, Len. First, of all, I don't, bye first bye. of all, I don't like the game. Second of all, <laughs> no. I can't hide it. I, I just can't hide it. No, Paul, as, I, as we joked about at lunch the other day, Paul would be the worst spy in the history of mankind. Just, he, he would be found out immediately. Just stands out. He doesn't know how to control himself. He shows emotion. He walks faster than everybody else. Yeah. He's loud. He's with the worst spy ever. I don't blend in at all. No, he does not blend in. And no. that's exactly what you want a spy to do. Yeah. All right. Final call of the show <laughs> is our buddy Charlie. Charlie, hello. Hi, Charlie. Hey, Paul. Hey, What's going on? John. Hey, Charlie. It's always it's always good to uh, listen. It's always good to listen to Len. I always learn something. It's uh, I, I really enjoy uh, Len, and I'm glad I'm following him. I got a couple quick points. Um, one is, is the guy that I think that's going to have a really good year is, and I don't think anybody, I think a lot of people are sleeping on him mm -hmm. is uh, Tony Lapette. Um, 
The guy, I mean, the guy had a Achilles. Lipit. He was a real, yeah, Lipet. Isn't it Lipet? No, Lipet. 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 And uh, he was a really good cornerback before that happened, and it usually takes a couple of years, you know, before, um, you know, the Achilles heals. And I think uh, this could be the year for him. He's and, got a shot. Uh, there's a yeah, lot of competition ahead of him, but, hey, if he wins it, then that means he did something right. He certainly has the size and length that they're looking for at mm-hmm. the position. Yeah. I, I wonder and if they're going to try him at safety. And yeah, he used to be fast. So, yeah, we'll see, Charlie. Good question. And he's a vet. And, he, and the other thing is, I, you know, I wanted to see us get a right tackle, but I've always said we need a right tackle, veteran-quality right tackle. So I don't, I'm not that upset they didn't get anybody. Uh, they got a couple of uh, undrafted guys, or at least one they brought in, but I want a veteran. The only thing I, I have a problem with is uh, back injuries are never simple or just, you know, easy, or um, they're always a problem. And once somebody has back, back surgery, um, I don't know if you're going to be able to count on this guy, to tell you the truth. Um, so... You know, I'm not throwing all my, you know, bas- my eggs in the basket of reamers because I just don't know what the back surgery is going to be like. You know, to be honest, Charlie, I understand your trepidation because anybody who's going through something like that does have a, a, a bit of a question mark on his resume. I won't deny that. Thank you, Charlie. Appreciate the call. But I would also okay, add, John. The Vikings did ask him to stay and take a pay cut. Yeah, but th- that's why they're waiting. That's why they haven't you know, put pen to paper and yet. He's going to go rehab. He's going to come in. Right. I'm sure they're going to put him through a bunch of workouts, make him run around, and they'll make sure he's where he needs to be Tr- trust if me, he's going to help. No team is going to sign a player unless, unless they have a strong amount of confidence that that money's going to be worth it because otherwise you're wasting a roster spot and you're wasting money if the guy does not have a high chance to, to be able to stay on the field. All right, folks, that's this week's episode or today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live Indeed. presented by Coors Light. For Paul Dottino, I'm John Schwelk. Tomorrow it's Lance and Dottino. And then rookie minicamp begins on Friday. See you later, everybody. Bye. Adios.